0: Welcome to On Living, The Trauma and Beauty of Being Human with Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Have you ever asked yourself what it means to be human? What does it mean to be fully alive? What does it take to love, to really connect with another human being? How do we fully engage with and honor the humanity in us? It's time to really talk, listen to, and connect with one another. Come join in the conversation with your host, Dr. Leanne Nguyen.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Voice America. This is Leanne Nguyen, your host, speaking to you. Now, those of you who are just joining me uh, now this week on this show, you should know that the conversation that I'm offering is about us, about us humans, about what we uh, are, how we make our way through the time that we have on Earth, what makes us human as opposed to, you know, animals, ghosts, zombies, robots. Um, I conceive of this show as an offering to you out there. My small offering, my small contribution to the world that we live in right now, that to my eyes and ears is full of noise and, and frankly, has gone a little bit berserk. Um, so I want to show to, I want to offer this time to show to you all uh, as a a little space where we can talk to each other and listen to each other and to ourselves, you know, listen to the heartbeats and the questions that throb in all of us, I believe, uh, but that we may not have the time or the support to voice out loud and to pursue fully. And uh, those of you who have been with me for a while, know that my um, my thing <laughs> is to connect right is connection is really my my passion my preoccupation i want to connect with you through this show i want you to connect with one another out there and most of all with yourselves i want you to connect with what makes life a beautiful mystery and and with the many beautiful, wondrous, multiple stories um, of human lives that unfold around us that we can learn from and love. Um, And so, you know, if you have been joining in, um, by now that I seek out people who have lived, uh, who are passionate um, and passionately engaged uh, in living out their time on this planet. People I am drawn to and I, I hunger for people who live with, with love and with a sense of purpose. Um, you know, in previous uh, a few previous shows this summer, I have talked at length about what I mean by purpose, you know, and it comes down to, and this is my sort of take on it, um, you know, taken from the old French word uh, propose, that to me purpose comes from taking what life proposes to us and then in turn proposing ourselves to life, to the world, to fellow human beings. So my guests are people who have really opened themselves to what life proposes to them and in turn offer something um, of themselves to the world. And the world, I think, may be a better place for their offerings, for their contributions, if only because they live with purpose and they live fully their humanity. So, today is no different. Today, I offer uh, to you Dr. Elise Snyder. She's a very senior psychoanalyst and very distinguished in, in her training and her professional accomplishments, uh, not to mention her civilian <laughs> accomplishments. But, you know, we're not at a formal conference. We're not at one of those, you know, blah, 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 blah gatherings, you know, where the host will go on and on about the uh, the guest the CV. I won't enumerate uh, Dr. Snyder's accomplishments. It would take too long. And uh, you can just look them up. Uh, you know on on the the, the the page that I put up for the show or you can just take my word for it. <laughs> She's a very distinguished lady who has worked and lived and loved quite um, quite a bit and so I want to pick her brain about it. Welcome Elise to Voice America. I'm very no, glad thank you, can you join for us. having me. Yes, I know that you just yeah. landed, uh, you still jet lagged from what, first from China and then Russia, and now you're back in New York. But, no, no, uh, first you-
2: I was in France for two weeks, so I was home for a week, and then I was in Russia and I've been home now for, I think, four days, three days, something like that. But okay. Not, for some reason, I'm not jet lagged, so I feel lucky. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, I, may
1: I share this little anecdote with the listeners, you know, when we were pulling out our calendar, you know, and talking about work and trying to figure out a time. And you were mentioning your travels. I think you said something at some point you said to me, do you know how old I am? <laughs> So, because you offered it up, I feel free to tell the listeners, you know, she's in her 80s. Um, I don't know what age yeah. means to you. Would, would you mind? To sh- I don't know why people are so sort of... No, no, you know, I'm 84. Right. But what does that number mean to you? Yeah.
2: Does it mean anything? Well, uh, well, a little. I'm a little bit startled that I'm this old. Um, I don't feel very much different from the way I felt some years ago. Uh, I don't feel fatigued. My feet hurt when I walk a lot, and I used to do a lot of hiking and climbing in mountains, and I can't do that anymore. So being 84 means some of the things that I used to enjoy I've had to slow down with. I can do hills but not mountains. <laughs>
1: uh huh. Well, but but emotionally or mentally, would you say that you're able to do now things that you were not before? That's the gift of age, isn't oh, that of, of experience? That's an interesting question.
2: Uh, I think I am probably. Uh, I never had a, a bad temper, but I think I have less of a temper now than before. I think I'm more patient with other people than I was when I was younger. I think impatience was was a major trait of mine, both with myself and with others. Sort of, let's get this moving, let's get this mm. done, mm-hmm. uh, was a very, has been, still is a very important uh, thing about me.
1: Mm-hmm. Let's get moving. Well, so if so, you were from
2: this uh, I, but I'm less impatient. I'm less impatient with others. I think you would have to ask them than I used to be. <laughs> well, if before
1: you were saying to people and and in a way to the world, you know, let's get going, from this place of being more patient. What are you saying? What, what's your sort of Wait. disposition to the world now regarding time?
2: Oh, what I'm saying is let's get this thing moving. Don't waste time, but I can understand a little more if you're tired or you didn't get it done yesterday as you promised <laughs> to. <laughs> you're forgiven. I think I'm still saying. I mean, I'm working full-time, and uh, I think I, and I'm running a fairly, what for me seems a fairly large organization, and... Uh, I I still spend a lot of time pushing at people to do what they said they were going to do and to do it sooner rather than later. Sort of don't put things off. But I'm because, I'm sweeter about it. I think than when I was younger. <laughs> I, <yeah>. I hope.
1: <laughs> what, what don't put things off? Because why? What What's the urgency? What uh, What drives you?
2: Oh, I think uh, that's an interesting question. I think I've always been a very active person. When I was 14, I had polio. I was very, very ill. I mean, that's a disease that we have just about wiped out. But uh, I still had polio when I when I was a kid. And mm-hmm. I, I was very ill. And I think I had the feeling that, you know, you could die any day. You could become totally disabled. I was in... Uh, an iron lung, then, and that—that uh, that, I didn't. I, I said to myself, I don't mind if I can't walk. I'll get around on crutches and a wheelchair. But I didn't want to be in this iron lung, this sort of big, like a, a, a one-man submarine, forever. Huh. So I think uh, there's a feeling that uh, there's some pressure to get. To get things done because you don't know what can happen. I think mm-hmm. I also had some other illnesses in my life that also gave me this feeling. Things could go wrong, you could get sick, something bad could happen. Get it done now, don't put it off. Also, mm-hmm. things work better mm-hmm. if you do it now rather than delay. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me that, you know, we so all take so for granted, right, that we have unlimited time. Um, I -hmm. I, I tend to, I I usually tell my patients, you know, or people who are around me that there are two words uh, Mm -hmm. that should, um, that we should meditate on, that we should forbid ourselves to say. One is, I can't. We talked mm-hmm. to a guest. I talked to a guest of mine um, uh, last week about the, the sense of freedom, you know. And he used to be in jail for sixteen years, and now he's out here are free. But you know, the people out here mm-hmm. were not really free. And I, the, the number of times that we say "I can't" during the day is astounding. And another word is mm-hmm. later. <laughs> You know, I'll yeah, do it later. later. Okay. <laughs> right. We'll get to it later, <laughs> and then you know, bomb yeah. falls on us, or, or people get deported, or you get ill, and then you know, there's no later. Um, so, fourteen, you got polio, and and then uh, your life changed from then.
2: Well, no, I was, I was very fortunate. I mean, I, I recovered. I had a lot of physiotherapy and I, they wanted me to go to Warm Springs, Georgia, which Franklin Roosevelt had They wanted me to go to Warm Springs, Georgia, which Franklin Roosevelt had started. And I said, no, I wouldn't go. I was going to go back to school. I was very afraid of of seeing myself as somebody who was invalided, who couldn't do things. And I was lucky enough to recover. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I also learned... I think you said there are two things people shouldn't say. One is I can't, and the other is later... And I think there's another thing people should say. When somebody asks, do you want to do something, Uh, Mm -hmm. yes is a very good answer. Uh, You know, taking advantage of all sorts of opportunities that people offer and not Mm -hmm. backing off or let me think about it or I'll get back to you. But, yeah, let me try that. I think that's a really important that that has been for me a very important um, way of thinking or attitude
1: that's wonderful. Can, can you say more? I, I totally agree with you. You know that thing that I said about open yourselves to what life proposes. You know, basically, we're saying the same thing. Just <laughs> just find a way to say yes. But tell me more in 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 your in in the span of your experiences. what has the saying yes? I want to know two things. Say more what it means to say yes. And secondly, this is the hard one, people don't say yes often, you know. So what does it take, in your view, to say yes?
2: Ah, uh, okay. Let me, let me give you what's probably the biggest example of my saying yes to something that was offered or asked of me, which has to do with what I do in China. Mm-hmm. Um, I... Uh, I was in China in 2000, there was a conference there in my husband's honor, and I said I wanted to go too, and I looked around, I didn't know if anyone was interested in psychoanalysis there, and it turned out there was a huge amount of interest So I went, and I went to one city, and people began to ask me, could you find me a supervisor? Could you find me this? Could you find me that? And I said, okay. And I asked this friend, and I asked that friend, and finally one man said, could you find me an analyst? And I said, I can't do that. There are no analysts in China. (laughs) He said, well, what about Skype? And I said, what's Skype? <laughs> this is a long time ago. <laughs> right, about what, 10 so, plus years ago. Right, you right. Know, yeah. This was how my organization started. I certainly didn't plan to mm-hmm. be uh, heading a nonprofit doing what I do, but people kept asking for things, and I kept saying, yes, I'll find it, I'll do it, I'll try it. Uh, and they finally were asking to, for training as psychotherapists. Mm-hmm. psychoanalytic psychotherapist and i spoke to my friends by then i had used up most of my friends doing supervisions and things and we got incorporated and we formed this organization so this was a this is a huge example of saying yes and it's really been a full-time thing for the last Oh, eighteen years or so of my life, which is surprising. You know, to have a new life at that or new profession at my age. I still see a couple of patients. So that was that was saying yes. And what does it take?
1: When people ask Well first of all, Elise, hold on, before you it. get into that because I don't I, I really wanna get into it with you and we, we're going up for break. Um, so let's save that for when we come back. So but before we go on to commercial break, I wanna clarify for the listeners about this nonprofit organization that Elise Snyder um, mm-hmm. spearheaded, you know, it's do um, you wanna say it explain for y- yourself what, what yeah, it is? It's the
2: China American Psychoanalytic Alliance. It's uh, Kappa for short, C A P A, Kappa. Right. And
1: you provide. That, that's her name. You, you facilitate, you provide. Me. Cyber,
2: you provide training. We provide training for Chinese mental health professionals.
1: Right. And also, do uh, you provide, provide treatment?
2: Tri- and treatment. We provide training right. and treatment. And supervision for Chinese mental health professionals, people who are psychiatrists and psychologists and counselors.
1: Right. And this is all done via Skype because they are over there. This, in well, China. it's all
2: done via Skype or Zoom or whatever works best. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh-huh, <laughs> sometimes, yeah. you know, it doesn't work, but it works pretty well now. Things have changed since we started. Right. And uh, we get lots of people applying, and we take 40 new students every year.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. But so basically, you know, we're talking about a global village. You're turning the world into a, a global uh, consultation room, into a global uh, classroom for, for psychoanalysis. Into, so
2: a sco- into, a, into a school for psychoanalytic psychotherapy. Yes, And we have uh, now trained a a lot of people, and many of them are starting to train people in China, which was our hope.
1: Okay. Well, and so this is a a wonderful uh, opening, you know, for for us to talk about the the, 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 uh, cross-cultural bridge, you know, to many things. So I want to do that when we come back uh, from the brief commercial break. All right? Hold on for now, folks.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you ever feel that you need to make changes but don't know how? Ever wish for someone who can help you find true purpose and make new choices? Dr. Nguyen is this person. Her passion is to help people bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. With Dr. Nguyen, you will enter a conversation that is unlike any other. You will make contact with yourself at a depth you never thought you could. You will give yourself an encounter with new thoughts, deep questions, and a renewed faith in your birthright to live the life you are meant to live. Dr. Nguyen's practice has been available to people from all over the world across cultures and identities. She has built it as a lighthouse and a safe haven to give the deep support and clarity so you can fulfill the promise that you once made to yourself to live your purpose. Whether you are in New York City or anywhere in the world, visit her at drleann.com. You can also contact her for a free consultation in person or on Skype. The website again is drleannh.com. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to On Living, To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to ldnewin.phd at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Here again is Dr. Leanne Nguyen.
1: All right, everybody, we are back into the conversation uh, with Dr. Elise Snyder. We were talking about saying yes, saying yes to life. Um, And uh, Elise, so tell me about what it takes, what it means to say yes, because in my observation, it's one of the hardest things for people to do.
2: No, it's hard for everyone to do I think. Uh, right. One of the things somebody asks you to do something. You asked me would I would I like to talk on this program for the Voice of America. And I felt sort of anxious. I mean, what was I going to be what was I doing talking on the Voice of America it didn't seem mm-hmm. didn't fit my picture of who I am. So I got anxious about Mm -hmm. it, as I do about many things, but I think saying yes means, so you feel anxious. I think you need to think of the anxiety as sort of weather in the mind, weather, W-E-A-T-H-E-R, you know, Mm -hmm. so you feel anxious, but that doesn't mean that you say no. Someone asked me once, did I want to climb a glacier? And I was very scared of that idea. But I said yes, and I wound up climbing a glacier in the Cascades. I think that say, what saying yes means is not giving in to anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I think that most new things uh, we're anxious about. I think that, that's a, a, a very common human reaction to something new. You feel anxious, and mm-hmm. uh, so what? So feel anxious, but say yes and go ahead and see what you can do. So that's what mm-hmm. I think about, what it takes to say yes. Mm-hmm. People sometimes mm-hmm. say to me, oh, Elise, you're not scared. They don't know. I'm scared of tons of things. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't stop me. And I think that, it, you know, I think we would call it in our profession that I'm counterphobic. I don't <laughs> like being scared, so I do the things I'm scared of. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway
1: well it's just so what what i take from what you're saying is is really to not listen to fear to mm-hmm. agree to make a pact with with ourselves to not hold on to that little sliver of what's familiar right to to the conception mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. we have of who we are for now of what we can hold on to, and, and just to open ourselves, you know, to to what else uh, is is out there, what what else life uh, can still hold for us, and I guess that's how growth
2: keeps happening. If that's the process. Well, um, oh, I think so too. I mean, of course, you know, I'm not suggesting that one be uh stupid that is you know say somebody says okay you know do you think you can fly you want to jump out of this hundred story building and see if you can fly and the answer to that one is no of <laughs> and one right. has to be sensible as well but that's not anxiety that's just being sensible i don't have wings i can't fly so i won't do that mm-hmm. but uh mm-hmm. other things uh Who knows? Maybe, And I think it also means that you have to accept that maybe you won't do something so well. That maybe Uh, you'll do it poorly because you don't know how. But so what? You learn to uh do it better. Uh I think that's very important. Right.
1: So uh, where my mind goes next uh, on this thing about saying yes is... For you, Elise, as a result of, of, of saying yes, what would you say you were able to access to find out about life that someone else who keeps saying, you know, no, I can't, no, not now, uh, no, it's not right, uh, would not have access to in his, you know, comfortable little box of uh um, of of mm. a life, looking back, what would you say that you were able to access, of life's proposals?
2: Well, I think you know, I, I, as you know, I'm I'm quite old, and I think I've been to a lot of interesting places. I've done a lot of interesting things. That had I said no either to something that was offered me or something that I thought of myself. I, let me just say. Once I want I'm I'm interested in, in orchids and flowers and I like rainforests and I wanted to go to New Guinea and for various reasons that wasn't going to work so I went to Irian Jaya which is the Indonesian half of New Guinea and uh, I, I, by fax I found somebody who would be a guide and I went hiking in the rain the high rainforest in Erie and Jaya with a guide and four porters, just me, and everyone, my children, my friends, everybody thought I was nuts. You know, what are you doing? I mean, what are you doing? Well, I had a very interesting time. I wait, 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 wait. So what did many- you say to them? How did you answer that
1: question of what are you doing? <laughs>
2: I said, well, I, you know, I, I'm going to have this guide, and I'm assured by this man in, in wherever, I forget where he was, that this was a good guide, and uh, I thought I can take care of myself, and this is something I really, really want to do. I want to see this rainforest, I want to see the orchids, and uh, I want to see some of these little villages way up there. And uh, and maybe I'm nuts, but I think I will be fine. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and maybe I was nuts, but I was fine. There was the guide. There were the four porters. There were these very interesting villages. Um <laughs> there was a war going on that we walked through between two tribes over four palm trees that had been going on for about 20 years this war they didn't care about us and <laughs> some of them came some of the warriors came to our camp at night and offered to sell me these exquisitely beautiful arrows and spears that they had made and I bought some <laughs> Mm -hmm, We paid mm -hmm. in cigarettes. And, uh, you know, that's an interesting thing. And if I had said no to my wish, I never would have seen this place. I never would have seen these villages where there were teachers uh, who had had maybe an eighth grade education teaching these little kids algebra. I mean, it was really an extraordinary experience. So that's you know, and there have been other things in my life like that where I have done interesting things, met interesting people, gone to interesting places, because I I didn't say no either to Mm -hmm. my own wishes, you know, like that, or to things that were offered me, like the person Mm -hmm. who said, "Do you want to go climb a glacier?" Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
1: you know, as like I listen, I'm I'm thinking too that obviously the the things that you sought out and experience are are, are, are quite um, in a way extraordinary you know they're not sort of within the normal ordinary range but I'm thinking this can apply to a walk through the neighborhood you know this can apply to every day mm-hmm. that we wake up and step out onto the street of like huh this person who just looked at me you know and let's, let me say yes to the how are you right uh, look at this alley you know where does it go let's say yes and you never know um, so I, I just want to say that this is doesn't apply to kind of like, you know, people might think, oh, some privileged, rarefied, you you know, life. It's it's just a way.
2: Can I tell you a story about that? This happened Mm -hmm. a few weeks ago. I was walking to the supermarket in my neighborhood, and there were a bunch of teenagers coming toward me, probably about 16 years old, boys, girls, people of different races, and suddenly they started to giggle. And one boy, he must have been about 15, rushed over to me, put his arms around me, kissed me on the cheek, and said, Have a nice day, Grandma. (laughs) And and they all started to giggle and waved at me, and I waved at them, and off they went, and so on. And I think if I had sort of run away or pushed this boy away, I mean, he, he looked very benign. He had a big smile on his face, and the others did, too. I mean, that was an adventure a block from my house. Right, 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 so. and oh
1: my God, bless these boys for doing that, for opening themselves, you know, to this to this lady yeah. who just walks down the street. Yeah. Well, and also right, reading, right, well, this
2: white-haired lady pushing her shopping cart to the supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> so it really was lovely. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. So, um, all right. So l- let me talk. Go back to the Kappa organization, and I, I was saying. Before the break, that um, I keep in mind that that's a wonderful kind of opening into asking you about what you observe, you know, of the differences and as well as commonalities be between the the, the the West over here and over there. Like, for example, the notion of saying yes. Do you see that over there? What do you see of their relationship to uh, to saying yes huh. to life?
2: Yeah. Well, I you know, it, it's it, it, to speak about them, you know, there are what 1.3 billion Chinese people right, right. So I can talk about the, the people that I know who are a very small number. I think that these the people that I know there are people who have said yes to this very arduous training. That they have, they they all they all know something about psychoanalysis because China has a long history of interest in psychoanalysis, but um, they know something about it. But they're taking uh, not so much a chance, but you know, they frequently have to have classes in the middle of the night. Uh, because the teachers are in the West. Um, They have to read, what, 125 pages in English every day or every week for their classes. So they have said they are yes-sayers to some very difficult um, adventures, intellectual and emotional adventures. And I think also being um, a psychoanalytically-oriented therapist is a kind of adventure, you don't know what's going to turn up with when you have a patient. And you also don't know how you're going to react emotionally to mm-hmm. what the patient is saying about their life or about you. And this is the reason that we think that therapists who do this kind of therapy should themselves have treatment so that they can handle you know, what the patient is saying to them or about them or about themselves. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I right. think that our students are adventurous, also are, uh, for the most part, yes sayers.
1: Right, you know, psychoanalysis. Um, again, I, I'm sort of oversimplifying and generalizing, but in in Northern America now, in the West now, psychoanalysis is not the most au kind of, of, of modality, you know, one, a, a lot of people would say that it's sort of like fading out and dying. I mean, Newsweek used to have uh, a, a cover page every five years about how Freud has died, you know, how psychoanalysis is extinct. But um, so it's surprising, right, that there seems to be such a hunger for it in Asia. How, how do you no. understand that?
2: Well, the way I understand it is that I think that when you have um, a middle class, an, an emerging middle class, People who are no longer so concerned about where's the next meal coming from. When you have smaller families with people intensely involved with other family members rather than just survival, uh, mm-hmm. people are interested in finding out about themselves, about how they feel, about why they react in certain ways. And also, it fits in with some Chinese traditions, at least the Buddhist tradition, which is very important. And Buddhism is actually um, a theory of the mind, if you will. So Mm -hmm. I think this is why psychoanalysis has had this long interest in China, and it's returned. Uh, I think uh, that it, that there is a decrease in interest in America has to do with, with two things, really. It has to do, one, with people wanting a quick fix. And psychoanalysis and psychodynamic psychotherapy takes a long time to mm-hmm. figure out what's going on inside you. It's not a quick fix. And I think also... There's a thought that, oh, there are pills. They will make me better. They will cure this. And certainly, Mm -hmm. I'm a psychiatrist, so medication is really good for some illnesses. But it's not good for the kind of problems that psychoanalysis focuses on. And even for people with schizophrenia, manic depressive illness, they do better if they have both pills and psychotherapy at the same time. There are lots Mm -hmm. of studies about it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I haven't found uh, much difference in the Chinese people I know. Now, again, I'm not speaking about Chinese people, 1.3 <laughs> billion of them. Oh, why <laughs> not? Know, well, I'm only well, they're about... all alike, Elise. <laughs> I was making a very bad joke about how they're all alike.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. But go now, on with they, what you know. They,
2: they do not yeah, they do not seem to me, and and we talk about this. I mean, this is a major topic of conversation. How different is it, you know, in China from America? How different is the East and the West? Uh, how different is character? Um, you know, most, what shall I say? All human babies need essentially the same thing in the first year of life. They need food. They need warmth. They need their diapers changed and their bottoms cleaned. And they need they need love. And uh, they you know if they're going to survive, they need all those things. And uh, there's not so much difference in, in different cultures. They have to provide those minimum things. There are some differences, obviously. Uh, what what should I say? But they don't seem to influence this for me, and for most of our people who treat Chinese patients, the therapeutic process, it seems more or less the same when you're treating patients in America and when you're treating patients in China. So I don't know um, if it's
1: um is it fair for me to ask you if you can distill the element that that is common, that is consistent and that is fundamental to the therapeutic process?
2: Well wow, that's I know. <laughs> it's like oh, I, don't know. I, don't, I don't I don't even but... know where to begin. But you know, after the beginning, and the beginning is different and difficult for every patient, American or Chinese, because it's not like a usual conversation. The therapist mm-hmm. is more or less silent and listens, doesn't answer so many questions. And tries to find the meaning. It's a little bit, uh, what shall I say? I think of it, this, this is my, um, my way of thinking. I think of it like, uh, listening to music, a kind of, a, a piece of music that you've never heard before. And it takes a while before you can hear the theme. You know, the strings play it, and whoops, there are the horns playing it. And now they're coming back and playing it a little bit differently. Or it's a little bit like uh, reading poetry in some ways. And when you can hear a theme that the patient is not aware of, you tell the patient, and it's that same process whether you're dealing with a Chinese patient who's been raised in China, or whether you're dealing with an American patient who's been raised in America. So mm-hmm. I, I don't find uh, great differences in, in treating Chinese patients or treating American patients. And I, we have, I think, now, oh, treated five, 600 patients, some in analysis, some in psychotherapy. And for the most part, I think our, our therapists find, after they get over being terrified of using Skype or Zoom, that it's not so different from, from mm-hmm. their, their work in their offices in, in America. Okay. And there's this is more a... and more distance treatment going on in America, too. Uh, This is
1: a good place for me to take a pause for, for the inevitable commercial break. So a few minutes and we'll come back and we'll talk more about the human connection that can happen. We'll be right back.
0: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Do you ever feel that you need to make changes but don't know how? Ever wish for someone who can help you find true purpose and make new choices? Dr. Nguyen is this person. Her passion is to help people bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. With Dr. Nguyen, you will enter a conversation that is unlike any other. You will make contact with yourself at a depth you never thought you could. You will give yourself an encounter with new thoughts, deep questions, and a renewed faith in your birthright to live the life you are meant to live. Dr. Nguyen's practice has been available to people from all over the world across cultures and identities. She has built it as a lighthouse and a safe haven to give the deep support and clarity so you can fulfill the promise that you once made to yourself to live your purpose. Whether you are in New York City or anywhere in the world, visit her at drleann.com. You can also contact her for a free consultation in person or on Skype. The website again is drleannh.com. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to On Living, To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to ldnewin.phd at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Here again is Dr. Leanne Nguyen.
1: All right, welcome back, everybody. I am uh, in conversation with Dr. Elise Snyder. We were just talking about the difference or lack of um, really any real difference uh, between uh, Chinese uh, working with Chinese people and uh, Western American people. So, from what you were describing, Elise, of the therapeutic process, You were likening it to listening to music, you know, or reading a poem. One thing that you don't mention is that that process, that reading happens between two people, right? And I think that there's something about that experience, that process, that kind of conversation that is probably, at least to me, you know, the the most transformative and unusual thing. Um, of of what we do as therapists, as psychoanalysts, and potentially as as people, you know what can happen when two people talk to each other and really listen to each other's minds.
2: Uh, no, I I I agree with you that the that the relationship between the therapist between the therapist and the patient or any two people is 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 uh, vitally important and can be transformative. I think, though, the way that I think, not, not all psychoanalysts do, of, of psychoanalysis is that um, there, there is a special thing about interpretation in psychoanalysis in understanding some of these themes, in understanding how the patient develops feelings, let us say, about the therapist who is listening very patiently to them and uh, then gets the the way they're reacting to the therapist interpreted to them. I mean, often patients are very angry at the therapist, and uh, that's very painful for the therapist who's trying his or her best to help this person, but in, say, exploring what the anger is about or Mm -hmm. what they think happened that caused the anger, this is very useful for people. So Mm -hmm. I think that the relationship is important... And the patient listening is important, but I think also understanding, uh, I mean, the technical term would be transference. The, the feelings aroused in the therapy, in the patient, is in, is extremely important in helping the patient. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's, that's mm-hmm. the way I look at it.
1: Yeah. You said, I want to go back to, to, to what you said and and em- emphasize it because it may have to slip by. You said that all human babies, you know, in China or in America, anywhere, we all start out in life needing the same fundamental things, right? Shelter, mm-hmm. food, clean bum, <laughs> and love. <laughs> you said. So we all... And, and love and attention. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So... So what happens beyond the first year, so what would you say, what makes a person tell us, what what do we need to tend to, what do we need to protect and cultivate uh, of the process of of being, growing into a person before the first year, is it still the same? Four, three, or four elements,
2: well, it, or something. No. Else? hopefully by the end of the second year or third year, they can keep their bums clean themselves. <laughs> so that's one <laughs> thing that's, that 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 does change. But okay, I think uh, that what what children need. Well, first of all, children need not to lose their parents. I mean, the worst thing a parent can do to a child is to die. That, you know, and that's, you know, for a one-year-old, a two-year-old, a ten-year-old, by the time you get to be in your twenties, it's, it's not fun, but you can manage it. But children need their parents and they need not to lose or to be separated from their parents. Extraordinarily mm-hmm. important and extraordinarily important. Um, May I tell you an anecdote about Please. children being separated from their parents in China? Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Um, there was th- this earthquake in Sichuan province, and I went to China three days after the earthquake to help out. I, I was there. I- I'm not a first responder, but I'm an organizer, and I was organizing mm-hmm. first Responders to train Chinese first responders. There were 60 million people affected by this terrible earthquake in Sichuan province. And the government, there were lots of children where they couldn't find the parents and so on. And the government emptied out a university campus and flew a thousand little kids in to this canvas to sleep in the college dormitories and to be fed. And uh, there, were, been lots, there was lots of work on this done by Anna Freud, who found that during the Blitz in London, mm-hmm. the kids did better staying with their moms, even in the subways with the bombs falling, than right. they did when they were evacuated to the countryside. Right. So I went and spoke to the head of the Communist Party there, who was in charge of this, and I told her with a translator, Mm -hmm. that this was what our findings had been, that kids did better with their families, and the next day, they flew them back, found the families, and the the government had erected tent cities, and within three days, everybody that they could find, the parents and the children, were living together in the tents, rather than being at this nice university campus. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I yeah. guess yeah. one of the things I want to say is how important it is that children don't lose their parents either temporarily or permanently. And right. th- there was a response to that, which was impressive. Uh, and right. they need uh, you know, people to foster their curiosity, to help them deal with their aggression. Little children are quite aggressive, you know, if you see a toy that the other kid has and you right. want it you mm-hmm. know, you you sock the other kid and you get the toy for yourself. And mm-hmm. in most cultures parents say, That's not nice. Don't do right. that <laughs> You know, do shaming. Hit yes. the other kid yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they mm-hmm. shame them or they punish them if they're really beating up on other kids, and and they've or they say maybe if you ask him nicely or maybe if you offer him your toy he will give you his toy. But I think all in all cultures, parents help children deal with aggression one way or another. And uh, I think it varies from culture to culture, um, fostering independence, fostering um, curiosity, and so on. So there are certainly cultural variations after the first year of life. But I think that what we find in, in the kind of therapy we do, that these variations are not... Um, major league significant in treatment mm-hmm. that we we seem we westerners seem perfectly able to treat asian patients and and, and uh, asian therapists you know i'm sure can treat western patients and i mean if you think uh, differences boys are raised differently from girls Yet I treat male patients and female patients, and I'm sure you do too. And there are cultural differences in the way we raise boys and girls. Yeah. Uh, there, certainly there were when I was growing up.
1: Right. Now, let me flip it a little bit about the, the conception then of, of mental health, you know, or of a good or happy whole person. Is it the same? Or to you, though, what, what, what to you is a whole, intact, you know, evolved, happy human being?
2: Well, I, um, I think uh, happiness is partly a question of, of, of luck, so to some extent we make our own luck. There's no guarantee about happiness. If you have an earthquake or have a famine or someone you love dies, you're not happy. So mm-hmm. I don't know that um, I, can, I can really address the question of happiness. What, what I can say is that I think human beings uh, should be able to love others I mean Freud. Uh, to quote Freud. Freud said the important things were love and work, and mm-hmm. I think that human beings, uh, a whole human being, if you will, should be able to love others, care for others, uh, and also should be able to work. And uh, so those those are those are what I think is important. Happiness. Uh, in China, all college freshmen have to take a year-long lecture course in how to live a happy life. Really? <laughs> I think that's how great. not? <laughs> <laughs> what is that about? I think it's great, and I sometimes give them a lecture and say, well, I don't know if I can tell you how to live a happy life, <laughs> but, you know, I can talk about some things that would be better than others. <laughs>
1: uh-huh. But,
2: uh-huh. Um, you know, I don't know. Happiness, I don't think I can uh, can speak to. I think because it has to do with all sorts of things that are not under the person's Mm -hmm. control. Um, There there are kinds of of unhappiness that uh, people bring on themselves. You know, people who are constantly, let's say, somebody who's always late and gets fired from their job. And then they're unhappy that they don't have money or a job. Well, they're being late all the time is is a symptom that some that that can be helped with therapy, you know. But and then they might be happier because they won't get fired.
1: Right. I mean, often we create our own misery, you know, or I don't remember who said that, that's, but there's something along true. the line of we tend to be our worst enemies or our most persistent persecutors, um, you know, not out there. But um, gosh, at least we have only a, a couple of minutes left. So let me just let me ask you this again, since I, I want to get the most out of it. So what is the one thing I want to ask you? You refuse to tell me what happiness is. Fine. <laughs> I'll go find out for myself. <laughs> what to you, what do you then is the most important thing in this business of, of living? What do you still intend? What's the oh, most important
2: thing? I, I think the most important thing is uh, my relationship with other people, uh, both my family my friends uh, the people i work with i mean these are all different kinds of relationships but uh what's important and and it this gets very much you know related to my work both my work as a psychoanalyst and my work you know running my organization but i think what's important to me is my relationship with with others and uh I don't think I would, I mean, I think I would probably manage in some way on a desert island, but I would be busy um, building a boat and trying to get off the desert island and to get back to a place where there would be people that I could be close to. Okay. Does that answer help?
1: It does enormously. It does because it it, it, it it supports me. It confirms me, you know, in in what I believe in and what I try to do. Uh, also, yeah, in my work, in my personal life, and and uh, you know, in this on this show, I totally agree with you. And I'm glad that spontaneously you 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 voiced that in support that the relationship that we have with other human beings is what um, mm-hmm. is what matters. Is what sustains us. Is is what carries us forward. You know, we start out in life needing other people and you are saying that it continues throughout uh, and onward. Um, Well... Our encounter has to close for now. (laughs) I thank you so much, Elise, for for your generosity and, 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 uh, may I say, your wisdom, (laughs) you know, but mostly your openness (laughs) and generosity. I am so sure that this conversation um, will touch so many people out there and, you know, across continents. You know, this is not just the US, but I know that you have, as you said, five or 600 people in China who call you grandma. And uh, I have people in (laughs) Australia. Yeah, and Ireland and uh, and Greece and so on so um, goodbye for now Elise and goodbye for now everyone I wish you all out there what can I say a lot of love and please go and say yes <laughs> please say yes to yourselves to one <laughs> yeah. another to yeah. life right okay bye bye take care everyone
0: thank you for tuning to On Living the trauma and beauty of being human. Please join Dr. Leanne Nguyen again next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And enjoy being alive.